Okay. Um, if we could have the PowerPoint up. The first slide is blank, and that's the one I want. Oh, not that one. That's it. Um, what I'd like to do first is um, actually ask you, hopefully this isn't going to feed back too much. I'm going to come round. So grab your Bibles or your Bible apps. I'd like to hear some of your favourite Bible verses and a one-line reason as to why you like it. Okay, so grab your Bibles, I'll give you 30 seconds, find a favourite Bible verse and a one-line reason why you like it. It is quite hard. You might have more than one, or you might be there thinking, oh, it's, it's that one, but you can't remember where it is. Give it your best shot. Uh, those who are ready, stick your hands up, and we'll start with you, and we'll give other people a few more moments. Anybody want to kick us off? Was that a hand? Yes. Um, Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. I don't need any money. I don't need anything to get good stuff from God. Thank you. Who's next? Mine is Psalm 46 and verse 10, which is, be still and know that I am God. I constantly need reminding to do that, and that's why it's my favourite. Thank you. Are you writing these down, dude? I meant to ask. Chris, could you remind us what was your verses? You've got a pen and paper. That's quicker. <laughs> Isaiah 55, verse 1. And Natalie? Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, 10. You don't have to go to the people with it, just the verses. Have you found a blank page? Okay. Isaiah 55, 1, I think. And Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, 10. Who's next? Uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 6 be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to do inherit the land uh, it's about being strong and very courageous um, that's a real challenge and uh, to know that you know we can be strong with the Lord's help and brilliant and thank you he's next yes so if I'm squeezing past people Psalm 23 verse 6 Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Really something to look forward to, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, this side has been very holy so far. Anybody on the other side? I'll come back to that at the back of the minute. This side. Jeremiah 24.7, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. It's just the fact that God has got a bigger plan. Fantastic. Any more this side before I go to the back? Come on, youth, you must have some. Mine's 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And that's just like, whatever happens and whatever I need, he's always there. Thank you. Anybody else this side? Matt's got a very big Bible. Surely you've got one in there somewhere. Well, there's so many to pick, but I'm going to pick the Ephesians one, and I've lost it because I was looking at something else. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, and that's Ephesians 3, verse 20. And that's really because whatever we go through, we know God can completely transform and change the situation. Great, thank you. Right, the back. Uh, yeah, a passage from somewhere 
in Joel 2, it says, I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the key word there is spirit and all. And he's poured it out on us who know God and even those who do not <coughs> know God, they've still had their spirit poured over them. Uh, Colossians 2, 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And that's my prayer and my desire is to walk in the ways of the Lord. Thank you. Yes, yeah, Psalm 40, uh, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And uh, that's because after I was converted at the age of 23, the first time I was ever asked to give a testimony, this is the verse the Lord gave me. Fantastic. Right, anybody feeling like, oh, I should have put my hand up. I really want to, but I didn't get asked. Yeah, oh, yeah, the middle. <laughs> you got one, dude? Uh, mine is John 16, verse 33. As Matt said, one of them, it's hard to pick, but it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that just really helps me because some people deal with difficulties better than others, but I really struggle when things go wrong to um, hold on to my faith in, in all honesty. And so that really helps me that Jesus has said it, there will be trouble and I need to just accept that. And he gives peace. Okay, write that one down. Okay, um, next question. We'll come back to the Bible verses in a second. Um, anybody got a decision to make this year or a, a change? It might be a new job, new house, a new hobby. It might be you're choosing your options or doing exams or whatever. Anybody got, just a show of hands at the moment, anybody think they're going to be making some sort of decision, key decision, during this next 365 days. Put your hands up nice and tall. Good. Okay. Anybody thinking they're going to make mundane decisions during the next week? Put your hands up. What are the rest of you doing? <laughs> we all make decisions all the time, mundane ones all the time. Like, I'm making a decision now to keep speaking because I could make another decision to run out the door screaming into the car park saying, they're too scary, they're not putting their hand up. So we all make, we all make decisions. And actually, the way we make decisions is really uh, an important uh, way that we live our life. Um, anyone want to have a guess as to 20, 30, 40 years ago, what was the favourite Bible verse in the Western world? John 3.16, yes. Well, I know the plans I have for you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting, getting muddled up. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was the favourite Bible verse, the most well-known one in the Western church. Um, probably you've got a bit of a clue. What is the current favourite Bible verse in the Western church? Any guesses? 1 Peter, John 3.16. Yeah, the one I was just about to quote, that one. Yeah. 
It is. Perhaps have the first slide. Yes, it is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts. Well, actually, that's a bit of a. I'll, I'll read it in a slightly different way. Um, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not to hurt you. I will give you a hope and a future. And that is the the now the current favourite verse, the most quoted, the most sort of well thought after. You can you can buy it on everything. It's um, necklaces, dangly things, Bible covers, all sorts of things, and. It is everywhere, and it tends to be just that that verse 11 that that people quote. But actually, if we click to the next slide, um, if we have it in a slightly little bit more context, um, it says, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Then you will call on my name, and and you will... You will come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Okay, uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit. I-, I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story now. Um, not anything really to do with Edens, although it does sort of lead me there eventually. It is a little bit of the story of my life. Not so much my testimony but just some key events um i understand the stress that all you guys are going through who are doing gcses at the moment i did gcses um i also did my a levels uh i then didn't really know what i wanted to do my best subject was history so i sort of thought well i guess i'll go and read history at university uh and but I, I didn't really have any huge burning desire to do that uh, and instead I decided to do a, a gap year um, and long story short uh, I ended up being accepted to uh, do a gap year with a Christian um, project that, that worked in India and uh, it was in Bombay and it really was Bombay it was Bombay when I arrived it changed its name while I was there, or changed its name back, and it was Mumbai when I left. Um, and I learned some key things. Uh, when I first got there, um, I started being very ill, and the first thing I learned was, next slide, was how to use a squat toilet. It wasn't, that was a picture I found off the internet, it wasn't actually as nice as that. That was probably, that's a, that's a pucker toilet, that's a nice one. Um, but it did have the bucket of water and a little cup. Um, I won't go into too much details, but let's just say you eat with your right hand and you don't eat with your left hand for a good reason. Where's the toilet paper? Oh, there is none. Um, so you learn to use a, a squat toilet. And um, it's quite quite handy, really, especially if you're really ill. Um Second day in, um, I got explosive tummy troubles, let's um, call it that way. And I was ill um, with vomiting and diarrhea every day for about six months that I was there. Um, I ended up being really skinny. And um, the worst part was what I call double trouble, was when it happened simultaneously. And actually, those toilets are quite good because if you squat far enough back and you can lean your head between your knees, 
it can all just come out and you can just wish you were dead. Um, so, that, that was all part of God's good plan for me. God's good plan for me. Yeah. Okay, next slide. While I was there, um, we were meant to be um, put with a, a nice church family and looked after. There's me and another, another guy called Carl, both about the same age. And um, actually, our accommodation fell through before we even got there. And so we, we were at the church, and um, the pastor didn't know where to put us. He had a very large family and a very small house. Um, so we took over the church office, which was just a room. Um, the windows didn't open. It was ridiculously hot. And there was a tiny sort of fan in the ceiling that just about moved in a circle and didn't really do anything other than to annoy the mosquitoes. Um, and so we lived in the church office. Um, and we lived there. It was meant to be temporarily. Um, it was the entire time. Um, we had one little pot that we used for um, trying to cook during the day um, and boiling water. Um, but we weren't alone, like I said, because we shared the church with the rats and they got into our beds, they got into our snacks, um, and I learned how to kill rats. Now, I'm an animal lover. I do not like hurting animals, but it's pretty much them or you when they're in your bed, and they're, they're not like clean guinea pigs. They're dirty, disgusting, they can bite you, and they spread disease, etc. So, I learned to kill rats in many ways. My favourite weapon was a broom handle. You catch them on the head, you can do a good job, eyes pop out, etc. Um, and we fling him out the, out the door. Um, one time I felt very bad for this. It wasn't a plan. We were boiling a bowl of, of water because we couldn't drink the water. Um, I was chasing it with a slightly smaller broom handle. I managed to kick the bowl of water, which covered the rat, who then screamed his way to the next life as he died by being boiled alive by our water. We then had to, like, we were really thirsty. We had to wait ages, so we had to drink practically hot water, which maybe is where I've got my love for hot water now. I drink it a lot. So, um, being, being in accommodation with rats, um, with so hot that you can't open a window and uh, plenty of mosquitoes, that was obviously all part of God's good plan for me. Next slide. Um, during the days... Uh, we, we went and we worked with kids in the slums. Um, they lived here. So Stuart gets upset. He's, ever since we had Cassie, he cries at everything. So don't feel bad for him. He never used to do it before. He never used to cry about anything. Right. So he helped. Um, he said he didn't want to do this talk because he said he'd get upset. And I said, that's all right. You can do it. So just ignore him. He'll carry on again in a minute. Um, so, yeah, so he helped um, the church with an outreach project to kids who lived in this local slum. These kids were left alone all day while their parents worked or begged to get just enough money to survive. Their homes were sticks and scrap card, were, were sticks and scrap card and plastic sheets, and that did little to keep the, help, the heat out or the rains when the monsoon came. 
We did what we could for them. We pulled out thorns and bits of glass from their feet and dressed their wounds with bandages. When the lice got too bad, we shaved their heads for them. And the next slide. Yep. So we played football and cricket with them and we showed them care and attention, something they saw very little of. And then in the next slide, when my time came um, to come back to England, I tried my best in my poor Hindi language skills, along with a mixture of facial expressions and actions, to explain I didn't want to leave them, that I wasn't abandoning them, and that I truly did care for them, that my heart was broken. Was this heartbreak part of God's plan for me? During my time in India, I'd set myself the challenge of reading the Bible from start to finish and ticking off each book of the Bible in the contents as I went. Right, okay, yeah. Um, I, I knew uh, by reading the Bible I learned quite a lot, um, but I knew there was also a lot that I didn't know. And so I applied to go to Morning's Bible College. Next slide. Hopefully I'll be okay from now on. Um, but I actually found um, Bible clothes really difficult. Um, I felt trapped. It was very small, very intense. And there was actually quite a lot of pompous, dogmatic people there. Not all of them. And we, you know, I wasn't a perfect person as well by any stretch of the imagination. But probably equally from being in the juxtaposition of just being, working with the kids in India to then having people complain all the time about the smallest little things when you're sort of living in nice accommodation with running water and lots of food and everything else. I just felt a bit claustrophobic. Was these feelings part of God's plan for me? Uh, during the first holiday um, at Bible College, I decided um, I would take back my 125 motorcycle. Next slide. Look at this beast. Again, not actually my bike, although that it is. It, it looked just like that, but that, again, is just a picture off the internet. Um, that is a Yamaha RXS 100, although that's a bit of a lie because it's only actually 97cc. Um, so, down here with a... With a tailwind you could get to 58 miles an hour pretty good uphill 50 if you're lucky on a flat you know maybe 52 53 um like i say it was a beast so i decided uh, a little bit impu impulsively um to rather than going back in a car uh to bible college um i'd left all my stuff there so it was just just the stuff i'd had for a, a, a break um I decided I would take my bike back um, so then I would be able to just escape at times and get a bit of oxygen outside of the campus. And so um, I got myself prepared. By prepared, that meant put on my denim jacket, get my um, ski gloves um, and a pair of jeans, shoved a, a few things in a rucksack, and I, I got my map and I set off. Um, I've been told, well, I guess I'd known as well from the journey that I've gone in the car, it's about three and a half hours to go from um, Bury St. Edmunds um, down to, it's basically Christchurch, Dorset, sort of Bournemouth area. It's a little village called Sopley because um, it's an independent sort of Bible college. Uh, so I started this journey and... Um, 
you know, for those young people here, this is the days before mobile phones, or actually posh people had, a few yuppies had analogue mobile phones, not digital, analogue mobile phones. I remember by the time I got into, I think, my second or third year of uni, Jude and I, I, I worked in the holidays at, um, at a mobile phone shop, and uh, we got pages and they weren't the pages where you could send messages, they were number pages. So we worked out our own code system that we could send a number to each other and it would mean something. And I laminated a little, like, decipher card, things like, I love you, or please phone me in two hours' time, or etc., etc. Because they were sort of, again, no, no phones there, so there was like a pay phone at college. And uh, it was often, like, being used to, to, like, figure out a good time to use it and stuff. Anyway... Going on this journey, no mobile phone, that means no sat-nav. That means you have to use a map. Now, the only map I had was when you folded it out about this big. And it was the entire of the UK. And so basically, um, it wasn't a very small scale. And it was given out free by Tesco's. And it basically had the motorways on it. And then there was a few superstores that were open at that, those times. So there was about... I don't know, seven or eight different big Tesco superstores marked on this map. Now, as you can see, L plates, that means that I wasn't actually legally allowed to go on the motorways. So my map wasn't really much good to me. It showed me that I basically needed to go down. Um, I'd spoken to someone um, who said, oh, you know, it's, it's not too bad, whatever. What you need to do is you can't go on the M25 motorway, which is the big motorway that basically circles London. You need to sort of go through that, and then you'll pick up the North Circular, which is like a sort of mini, mini M25 that's sort of closer into London that takes you sort of around the edge of London so you don't end up being slap bang in the middle of London because I'd only been riding a motorbike a couple of years, and really, we all know what it's like out here. It's just like, I was used to dodging tractors, and that was about it, you know, just little villages, and um, always grown up sort of in and around this area. So anyway, um, I was looking out for these uh, road signs for the North Circular, and um, I started getting all the traffic started getting busier and busier. There was a lot more red buses and black cabs. And, and you know, they all seemed to be wanting to kill me. They were coming very fast at different directions and just zooming up on me. And then um, I passed, next slide, uh, this building. Anyone recognise that? Madame Two Swords. Now, I'd been there on a school trip. That's the Waxwork Museum, you know. There was no Kim Kardashians or whatever in my day. It was all like kings and queens and maybe uh, people from the, the Rat Pack and people like that, you know. So I recognised that and I thought, hang on, that means I'm pretty close to the centre of London. I've obviously missed my journey. I've missed my turning. So I carried on going round, and uh, about half an hour later, I felt like I was making some headway, and I then came past a building with a big green roof like this, and I thought, hang about, I'm pretty sure there's not two Madame Two Swords in London. I think I might be a bit lost, but I persevered. About 15 minutes later, I passed a big green roof building, Madame Two Swords again. It felt a bit like Groundhog Day, if you, if you know that film. And it was at this point 
um, that I started to get a bit hot under the collar, I get, getting a bit sweaty, a bit panicky. And uh, I started to uh, pray quietly, um, sort of, as I was going around. Going back to our Jeremiah verse, it says, Then you will call on my name, you will come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Well, I was scared and frustrated, and I definitely was praying. It was around about that point that I then realised I was out of petrol. Um, those of you who ride motorbikes know that they've got this blessed thing, which is fantastic, which is when you start to splutter like you're about to run out, you can twist a little lever and there's a reserve tank. Um, it's only very small. It's basically enough for you to then find a petrol station. You might get, it was a small bike, probably 10 miles. Now, driving around in circles racks up your miles quite quickly. So I was getting a bit stressed by this. I thought, I don't want to be broken down without petrol, not knowing where I am, in probably, again, outside Madame Two Swords, standing there looking like a waxwork, not knowing what to do. I, I got more and more stressed. I, I could not find a petrol station. Obviously, this was... I don't know what it was, 20-odd years ago. Um, there's less petrol stations about then, but also right in the centre of London, it's really expensive. And so actually, they don't tend to waste it on petrol stations. It's more like tourist attractions. So the petrol station's a little bit further out and few and far between. Um, I got more and more panicked, uh, and I actually um, started to, to pray more and pray more. And I thought, I just need to like stop and get my head together, maybe look at my unhelpful map or ask for directions. So I pulled down a little side street. I got to the end of this side street, and I was just finding somewhere to stop uh, when I saw a petrol station. Um, whew, ah, prayer answered. I filled up with petrol, and I, I, I asked the guy in the petrol station where a payphone was, and there was one actually just to few doors down or something um, and so then I, I didn't know who to phone but I thought I'd, I'd, the only person I knew that used to live in London was my dad um, I've always had a bit of a tough relationship with my dad but I phoned him up and I sort of said help um, how do I get out of this um, he told me what to do I think he said if memory serves me right I've got to get over Blackfriars Bridge and then do this or do that and then go through it I followed those instructions, and sure enough, I was out of the dreaded centre of London. Um, there was a slight hiccup, which was I, I was so busy looking for these directions that I didn't realise there was a, a red light in front of me. So I suddenly slammed on my brakes and stalled, at which point the car behind me slammed on its brakes, and the car behind him crashed into the back of them. I got my motorbike started again in a panic. The light went green, so I rode off, not really realising that actually I probably had caused the accident and I was now fleeing the scene of a crime or whatever. Um, in my defence, I don't know, strictly speaking, whether I was in the wrong or not, and I wasn't doing it deliberately. I was just in a bit of a panic. So I just drove off, off gaily. Uh, I got to the outskirts of London, and I basically thought, just keep heading what is it? South. Keep heading south. Um, by this point, it had been uh, about uh, five hours, five and a half hours into my three and a half hour journey. Uh, and it started to get cold and wet and drizzly. 
Um, I got really cold. I got really wet. Um, I didn't have any waterproofs. I didn't have uh, a leather, you know, leather clothes. Everything just got wet, and I was sodden and, and a bit of a mess. Um, and in those days, as as you go along. There wasn't really service stations, and I guess they would have been on the motorways anyway. So every now and again, I stopped at a little uh, wimpy or, or, or some such thing, and basically I didn't have much money, so I just went into their toilets and just like dried off a little bit under the hot hand t- dryers. And I kept going. I kept getting lost. I kept um, getting sort of fed up, but I just basically kept um, heading south. Um, I got lost a lot on, the, on that journey. Uh, I finally, um, about nine hours into my journey, uh, about ten, half ten at night, um, wet, cold, fed up, miserable. Um, I was about 15 miles away from my destination and I was stopped and I was sat um, basically halfway up a slip road going onto a motorway. And I, re- and I realized, oh, I can't go up there. And I was just, um, I was just not knowing what to do. I, I, for some reason, I got out my ridiculous Tesco map, which didn't help me at all. And I was looking at it. And I just didn't know uh, what to do. I didn't feel like this was part of God's good plan for me at all. And then, out of the darkness... <laughs> And it got louder and louder and louder until this ear-splitting roar was just filling the air. It was completely dark everywhere else. It had gone a bit misty. There was no one else around. And all of a sudden, this um, largest Harley Davidson motorcycle I'd ever seen in my life um, was appearing out of the, the darkness. I kid you not... The guy on it, this was cold, it was damp, it was horrible. He was wearing one of those like open helmet things with like a spike on it, like a German army type thing. He had a pair of dark sunglasses on. He had a big mushy moustache and beard. He had uh, leather trousers. He had a ripped denim jacket that was open to the waist. He looked part gorilla, part Goliath, chest hair going everywhere. I looked on the internet. This is roughly like the closest I could find to him, although a lot more chest hair, like I said, part gorilla. So this guy was was coming towards me. I looked down at my map, just thinking, what am I going to do? And he just pulled up alongside me, and I thought, is this part of God's plan for me to be abducted and killed? by a motorcycle gang member 15 miles away from Bible college. He just said two words to me. Follow me. It's never a good time for a man to sort of voice to break, but I managed, okay. (laughs) And he, like, the wrong way down the slip road thing from the motorway, I followed him doing my 52 miles an hour full out. He was just like breezing along like it was like nothing at all. And I thought, is he taking me down some dark, secluded side street? Am I going to be sold into slavery or eaten? Or I didn't know what was going to happen. 
But I just knew that he could snap me like a twig and there was no way I was going to outrun him. So I was just praying and panicking. Uh, we got to a sort of a fork in the road. He pointed one way and he zoomed off the other way. Um, I went the way that he pointed and uh, almost straight away I saw a sign that was familiar and within 10 minutes I rode into the, the Bible College car park, tired, wet, cold, fed up, but alive. So going back to the, the questions, um, these things that happened to me, uh, over, were they part of God's good plan for me? Um, the Bible verse, which should come up now, thank you, says again, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not to hurt, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Then you will call on my name and you will come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will search for me and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. The illness that I suffered in India helped me understand the struggles of those who face daily illnesses. Living with rats helped me to understand a little what it's like for those slum kids. Living in the shacks and be appreciative for the blessings. And I know that some things should break our hearts because they break God's heart too. When I didn't understand the Bible, God provided a place at Bible college for me. When I was challenged and taught me so much for the job that I had to do later in life, when I was lost in London, I realised the importance of not being stubborn and independent and asking for help from people and God. When I faced what I thought was a motorcycle gang member, it was actually God that sent me what I believe was an angel to guide me on my way back to the place where he had me to be. If you don't believe angels walk the earth, check out Hebrews 13.2. Uh, God's plans don't always have to be pleasant, for they are, but they are for our good. God's plan doesn't, doesn't, God doesn't plan to hurt us, but sometimes he is there with us in the times of hurt and pain for us to grow as a person and grow closer with him. When all we can do is cry out on, on his name in despair. In those times when we search for God, we always realise in the end that he's been there right with us all along and he never leaves us. And when we search for what our purpose, our path, our reason for being, we find the plans and paths lead us closer to him. We search to get deeper in our relationship with him and we find our ultimate destination is to find completeness in our relationship with Jesus, empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit in the love of and will of the Father. And if we know the context of that verse, it was actually... The, the people of Jerusalem were given that. It wasn't given to an individual, it was given to a nation. And they were in exile. And when they were given that, uh, they were actually eventually out of that ex exile. But it wasn't for about 70 years. So all the people that received that, that message didn't actually live to see it. But that's what we live in. Uh, God gives us a good plan. And as Jude says earlier, Ultimately, that good plan is God's plan for everyone. That's God's plan for his people, us. That we will be united with him. We will be with the Father in heaven. We, 
have been forgiven by the work of the Son. And during our life on earth, as we walk, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he wants us to do, to, to follow him and to follow his plan. I'm going to hand back to Jude now.